Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys today. Missed last week. Thanks to everybody who filled in, Preston, for bringing part three of our series. But I'm glad to be back with you guys today as we wrap up this series and begin a new one next week. Over the last few weeks, we provided insight into what causes people problems and how to best manage several different kinds. Part one was a big overview of the causes and the importance of looking in the mirror first. If you were with us, you remember we said all people problems, or at least the solutions to people problems, begin with looking in the mirror, dealing with the person you see in the mirror. Part two, how to deal with people you can't see eye to eye with, people with whom you cannot agree. Is it okay to separate from those people? If it's okay to separate, how do you go about doing it? Last week, part three, Preston discussed how to lovingly confront people who have hurt us and how to seek forgiveness from those we've hurt. It's impossible to cover all bases within a series like this. There remains many questions, details we didn't cover. In fact, no doubt you've walked out, if you've been with us over the series, sometimes on a Sunday morning and thought, what about this issue? What about that issue? He didn't cover this. He didn't say anything about that. It's impossible to cover all of it in one series. But hopefully we've given you several handles to get started on the right path toward healing and health. So where do we go from here? How do we wrap up a series like this? Here's how. I want us to be really honest today. Obnoxious people, people difficult to get along with, will always be present. And some of those difficult people are permanent fixtures in our lives. We like to believe if we change and we become more loving, kind, and gentle, people will respond positively and people problems will disappear. But the reality is people problems will never go away. Yes, you and I becoming more healthy, loving, kind, and gentle certainly helps, and it lessens friction between you and people. But new people will arrive, difficult people will continue to show up, and a few of them you will need to walk away from. But other people, and here's where we're going to concentrate today, you're going to be unable to walk away from them because some of those problem people are related to you. Your parents, your kids, your in-laws, or maybe coworkers, and you see them every day, and they work in the office next door, down the hall, and maybe you're a partner with them, and you can't walk away from that person because you've tied up your money with this person, or you've got a project you're working on together. So what about those situations? What about the difficult and stressful relationships, maybe even toxic relationships, and you can't walk away from them? Or what if you experienced a relationship in your past so difficult, so disappointing, you can't shake it? You were hurt, you were abused, you were lied about, lied to, betrayed, or whatever. Many of the things that we've said over this last few weeks have helped, certainly have given you some handles to hold on to some things, but you are deeply wounded, and you're not too sure what to do about it. You just can't shake the pain. What do you do? Well, a few thoughts before we kind of get into the the depth of this message today. First of all, I'm sorry. Life is difficult enough without toxic people. Life is hard enough without family members making it harder. Relationships are complicated enough without coworkers making it more complicated. So I'm sorry that you've had to deal with what you've had to deal with. Number two, you can't control other people. It's impossible. You don't even know the truth about other people. You only know what they show you, what they want you to see. 
Let me help you when it comes to dealing with other people. Most of what makes other people who they are resides behind the scenes, invisible to you. But they bring all of those things that you cannot see into the relationship, and it affects the relationship. So there are truths and issues and pain and trauma and lies and sins and cover-ups functioning within the relationship, and you know nothing about it. It remains invisible to you. Let me give you an example. You ever work with someone or supervise someone and something just felt off? They didn't understand the assignment or they were always carrying a chip on their shoulder or they seemed confused or several other things and you just couldn't put your finger on it. I'm not sure exactly what the deal is. Or have you ever dated someone and after the newness wore off, you noticed some odd traits about this person and again, you couldn't define exactly what it is. That may be why. At the beginning, you are interacting with the surface of the person, what they want you to see, the image that they paint for you. But everything underneath is at play, but you don't know it. And eventually, what's underneath begins to creep to the surface. Just give it time, it bubbles to the surface. Just give it a few weeks, give it a few months, sometimes even a year or so, before all the things that are at play begins to seep up to the top. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, this is a different person than the one I started to date. This is a different person than the one I married. This is a different person than the one I said yes to when I partnered with them. No, they're not different. It's just that you're seeing the truth about who this person actually is. So you don't know about their pains, their sins, their failures, their dreams, their disappointments, their mental illnesses, their marriage stresses, the parental regrets they have, betrayals, anger, etc. So just let me just give you a piece of gold here. Don't try to control them. You don't even understand them, yet alone have the ability to control them. Third, the only control you actually have is your response to what other people do. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. I want to invest time here because here's what I know about you. If you do not address the people problems and learn to respond the correct and healthy way, you will become over time cynical, negative, angry, apathetic, depressed. Basically, you will become bitter. And when you become bitter, everything in your life, work, church, marriage, friendships, spiritual life, mental health, everything is negatively impacted. You cannot be bitter and happy. You cannot be bitter and fulfilled. You cannot be bitter and raise peaceful children. You cannot be bitter and enjoy a wonderful marriage. You cannot be bitter and help others fulfill their dreams and lead an effective company or an organization. Bitterness is acid. It eats away everything necessary for healthy, vibrant, life-giving relationships. But you don't have to become bitter. You don't have to. You can stop that process. And one of the best ways to resist bitterness is to prevent bitterness from ever starting in your life. Stop it before it grows. Block it before it blossoms. But in order to do so, you've got to understand how bitterness forms. What I want to do over the next few minutes is kind of present to you what I call the cycle of bitterness, the steps toward bitterness. This is how it begins. The ground for bitterness is prepared for the seed to get planted to bloom as soon as people fail to meet our expectations. You see, 
we have expectations for one another. Each time we make a friend or begin dating or get married or start a job or hire an employee, as soon as someone enters our lives, we set up expectations for them. And many expectations are natural and reasonable and necessary. For instance, when you're a child, it's natural and reasonable and necessary for you to expect your parents to protect you and to provide for you. When you get married, it's natural and reasonable and healthy for you to expect your spouse to respect you and treat you kindly, to be faithful to you. When you begin a career for your employee employer, uh, your employer to treat you kindly and to pay you fairly and for your co-workers to do their job. All of those are natural, normal, healthy expectations. It's natural, reasonable, necessary for us to expect others not to steal our property or to be honest about our character or not lie or slander our name. I'm not talking about these kind of expectations. If we couldn't expect the basics, then society couldn't function. I'm talking about expectations we place on life and on one another that's beyond the basics. Expectations not based in reality. Expectations such as this. Life will be fair. Here's another one. If I work hard, people will notice and I'll be compensated. Or, Or this expectation. She will like me and want to be my friend. If I love him, he will change. If I'm kind to others, others will be kind to me. If I go to church and read my Bible and try to live a good life, I will be rewarded. Friends will not walk away. You've experienced many missed expectations in life and from other people. And when people don't hold up their end of the bargain, when they don't treat you like you've treated them, or when life doesn't go the way we expect, the second step in the cycle of bitterness is disappointment and hurt. And when we are hurt, and I mean deeply hurt, when we experience pain due to other people not meeting our expectations, we respond depending on our level of pain in one or several different ways. We flee, we get away from that person, get away from the situation, quit the job, abandon the marriage, whatever it is we gotta do, we gotta get away. We fight, we, I think we know what that means. We get into arguments, we get into disagreements with people, or we freeze. What does that mean? It means we become immobile, we just accept that whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen, the inevitable is gonna come my way, or we fawn. You know what that means? It means we bend over backwards trying to keep peace, repair the relationship, tilt the situation to our favor again. And if we do not deal with the pain, and we do not deal with the hurt, if we don't deal with the emotional disappointment that eventually, if left to itself, it will turn into blame and fault-finding. He did this to me. She did this to me. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. And blame and fault-finding, if left untreated, eventually grows into resentment and anger. And this is where It gets ugly. A few common signs of resentment. How do I know if I'm living in the resentment stage? You have an inability to quit thinking about the situation. It's just always present. 
It seems to always be in the back of your mind. It's natural for it to be there for a while after the event, but resentment causes it to be there for months and for even years. It's just always sitting there. You're just a resentful, angry person. Another symptom of resentment is that you have regret or remorse long after the event. You keep wishing you could go back and say this or say that or handle it this way or handle it. You just can't let it go. Everybody else has moved on. Things have changed, but you just constantly hold on to it. You're thinking about it, and you just have all this regret and remorse. Emotionally, you're just wounded on the inside. Another sign of resentment is an inability to let go of the anger. When you see someone who reminds you of what happened or you're in an environment that reminds you of what happened, you feel anger, and sometimes you feel strong urges toward revenge. You don't act on it, but you think about it. You fantasize about it. And when resentment is left untreated, it leads to bitterness. You just become a bitter person. Now listen to me very carefully. This does not have to happen. This cycle that I just walked through does not have to occur. No matter what someone has done to you, no matter what has happened to you, you do not have to end up being bitter. All through this process, you have opportunities to change. All through this process, opportunities to get off of that cycle, to quit riding it until you become bitter. You can stop. Hebrews chapter 12, listen to this. So strengthen, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, so strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. That's how you feel, isn't it? When you're bitter, when you're angry, when you're resentful, you just feel weak. This person kind of controls you. This situation overshadows you. He says, be strengthen your, your drooping hands and weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that any, if any part is lame, it will be healed rather than injured more seriously. Notice that process. If you're not healed, you become more seriously injured. It gets worse and worse and worse. The next verse, pursue the goal of peace along with everyone and holiness as well. That separation of heart, mind, character, because no one will see the Lord without it. Now watch verse 15. Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up. Don't let the root grow up. Don't let it blossom. Don't let it reach maturity. Why? That might cause trouble and pollute many people. So stop the root of bitterness from growing. If you don't, eventually it will pollute everybody around you. Here's what we know from this passage and from many others throughout Scripture. Situations arise that have the potential to cause bitterness. That's just a fact of life. Everybody's not going to treat you well. People are going to lie about you to you. They're going to betray you. You're going to lose out on some things of life. Things are not going to go your way. So situations will arise that will give you an opportunity to become a bitter person. Also, if bitterness is allowed to grow, trouble and emotional pollution will result. And three, we have the ability to prevent bitterness from happening. How? That's the million-dollar question, right? How? All the way back to the beginning of the ground being prepared. What was the first thing that I said? The ground is prepared and the seed for bitterness gets inserted as soon as there are missed 
expectations. Listen to me very carefully. I'm going to draw from years and years of my own experience and truth here. We place far too many expectations on people. And some people cannot live up to what we expect. And this has been a weakness of mine throughout my life and my ministry. I cannot count how many times I consistently placed high expectations on the people around me. And because I placed those expectations on them, when they failed to meet those expectations, I was hurt. I cast blame and became bitter. Here's something you need to know about people, an insight into the character of people. John chapter 2. This is about Jesus. I'm going to read you a passage, and then I'm going to put the main one up on the screen for you. Listen to this. John 2, beginning at verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem, Jesus in Jerusalem, at the Passover festival. So there's lots of people at the Passover festival, crowds of people. Many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. What does that tell you about Jesus? He's becoming famous. If he had Instagram, he'd be maxed out, you know. TikTok, all over the place. Everybody's sharing his post. I mean, he's, he's the man, you know. Thousands of people are following him. He's becoming well-known. His name is spreading everywhere. Thousands of people are crowding around, and they want to see the next sign. They want to see a wonder. They want to see a miracle. But I want you to notice how Jesus deals with all of the praises of the people. Watch this. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Notice Jesus did not get caught up in the praises of the people. He didn't entrust himself to them. Why? For he knew what was in each person. He knew that they would praise him one day and curse him the next day. He knew that they would say, Hail, King! and crucify him within seven days. He knew people were fickle. When you're popular, they love you. When you're not so popular, they walk away from you. When you're the next best thing, they want to be your friend. When you fail, they want to walk away and say, hey, I'm done with you. Jesus understood that about people. We have a hard time with people with that. We place high expectations on people, and then when they drop the ball, when they don't meet our expectations, we become angry, we become resentful, we become bitter. This is where I drop the ball in the game of life over and over and over again. I simply assume too much about people. I expected people to be who they weren't. I wanted things from people they couldn't or they didn't want to give. Can you imagine living free from people's praises or curses? Can you imagine not getting puffed up when people praise you and not getting defeated and deflated when they don't? Can you imagine not having to worry if someone loves you or they don't love you, you don't find your self-esteem on Facebook or social media or what people say about you, you are calm, you are consistent because you know people are fickle and you don't place all of your heart in their hands. But in order to do this, you've got to see people for who they are, folks. Not as who you want them to be, not who you expect them to be, but as they actually are. 
Anthony DeMello, in his book, Awareness, writes the following about people. I want you to just listen to this. This is so insightful. I've read this over and over again. He says, you want happiness? You want freedom? Here it is. See through people. See through them. Otherwise, he says, you spend the whole time grappling with your wrong notions of them, with your illusions that are constantly crashing against reality. You set people up here on a pedestal, reality brings them down. You set them up here on a pedestal again, reality brings them down. You set them up on a pedestal, reality brings them down, and you live your life up and down, rising and falling with the people around you. If they meet your expectations, you're excited. If they fail to meet your expectations, you're upset. He goes on. He says, it's probably too startling for many of you to understand that everyone can be expected to be selfish and to seek his or her own self-interest, whether in coarse or in refined ways. But this is what stings but you chose to paint people in glowing colors. You chose not to see through human beings because you chose not to see through yourself. So you're paying the price now. We set people up and then are upset when they fall. We set them up, they fall, we get upset. We set them up, they fall, we get upset. And we live our life in this constant loop of setting people up for these high expectations and becoming disappointed when they fail. Let's just get real. Do you disappoint yourself sometimes? Do you fail to fulfill your own goals? Have you ever set goals and then you didn't follow through with them? And this is going to be a hard one for some of us, but you ever experience a poor mood? Anybody ever? Anybody ever irritable? You ever cranky? You ever short-tempered? Are you ever impatient with yourself or with other people? Sure. That if you realize that you're that way, don't you think other people are the same? If you cannot keep up your end of the deal, what makes you think everybody else is going to keep up their end of the deal? If you're cranky, so are they. If you're moody, so are they. If you fail to fulfill what you promise, so do they. Yet you get up the next day and you get yourself cleaned up and you go to work and you take another shot at life. Why is it that you give yourself so much chances and you write other people off and get so mad when they don't follow through? Because we don't really see those things about ourselves, and we project it onto other people. Just like you, people are imperfect. They're flawed, they're broken, and most people are doing the best they know how to do. So stop expecting so much from other people. Lower your expectations. They're just people. Okay, that's for the future, right? The next time this happens, Scott, I'll take some of that truth, some of that advice. The next time... This person disappoints me or fails to meet my expectations. I'll take in consideration what you said. But what about now? I mean, what what about those of us in this room watching online who've been deeply wounded? What, what, What do we do with all those emotions and that toxic relationships in our past that we carry with us and that just weigh us down? I mean, how do you get over those disappointments and, and move forward? Even if a root of bitterness has begun to grow, very important, you can slow it down. 
possibly even killing the root. Three essential steps you have to take. Number one, forgive and move on. Forgive and move on. I have noticed a misunderstanding many people have about forgiveness. This, this to me, I wish I'd understood this years ago. A lot of people think forgiveness is about the person who caused the wound. You hurt me, I forgive you for you. Many of you think that when you forgive someone, you're, you're helping them. Maybe in an indirect way, that's true. But at the core of it, that's not true. Forgiveness is about the person who's wounded. Forgiveness is about how you feel towards someone, how you think about someone, what you believe someone owes you, what you want to happen to someone when they've wounded you. All of those feelings and thoughts and plans of revenge, fantasies of getting even with that person, they all reside in you, not them, you. And all those feelings are messing up corroding, poisoning the quality of your life, your mind, your interaction with people. Forgiveness is about letting the pressure, the hatred, the stress of what other people did to you, letting it go from your life. Gregory Popkak, he says, bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. Boy, I love that. What is bitterness? Bitterness is unforgiveness that sat so long inside of you, it is soured. And now it's become fermented, and everywhere you go, you carry the air, the smell, the fragrance of fermentation with you. You see, holding on to unforgiveness, refusing to let the person off the hook, sours inside of you, ferments in your soul, rots your bones, not theirs. Many of the people who've offended you, hurt you, done wrong to you, lied about you, betrayed you, guess what? They've moved on. I'm not going to forgive them. Do you think they care? I'm going to hold on to what they've done to me, and I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to fantasize about revenge, and I wish I could this, and I wish I could that. Really? Well, they're out enjoying a nice steak dinner with their family while you're sitting in the house, soured over what they did to you 10 years ago. Do you really think that your resentment, your anger, all the unforgiveness you're holding is affecting their life? And when the fermenting process happens, everything you touch is affected. Take vinegar, for instance. Vinegar is a sour substance, a fermentation. A little vinegar goes a long way, right? Add a tablespoon of vinegar to your coffee and see which one overpowers the other. Add it to your cereal. Drizzle it across a nice, delicious piece of pumpkin pie. Put it into a glass of sweet tea when you're real thirsty. Tell me, do you taste the sweet, sweet tea or the vinegar? Doesn't take much to impact everything. That's the power of fermented unforgiveness. See, you might be having issues in your marriage with your friendships, at work, with your sleep routine, overeating, anxiety, sleep-induced headache, or stress-induced headaches, a destructive habit, 
But if the truth were known, the cause is the unforgiveness you're harboring towards someone else. You've held on to it for so long, it has eaten through everything. Folks, holding a grudge doesn't change the other person. Holding a grudge changes you. Remaining angry doesn't cause the person who wounded you to repent and to make restitution with you. Remaining angry erodes your joy, your peace, your contentment. It's one reason Jesus again and again spoke about forgiveness. I mean, Peter wanted to know, how often should I forgive, Jesus? And Jesus, in essence, said, forgive and keep forgiving. In fact, don't stop forgiving. How about this, Peter? 70 times 7 in one day. Folks, this is not about justifying what someone has done to you. This is not about excusing the behavior of others. This is not about letting somebody off the hook. You don't have the power to let someone off the hook for what they've done. They will answer for what they've done. You don't have the power to let them off the hook. This is about keeping yourself clean, empty of fermentation, washed of the poison of bitterness and anger and resentment and hatred and revenge. I love this this image. Forgiveness is about reaching and flushing out of your system the poison of unforgiveness. Every time you forgive, you clean the system. Every time you forgive, you let it go. And it doesn't sit and sour and poison and affect your marriage and your friendships and your church life and your spiritual life and your mental health and your sleep and everything else in your life. You let it go. Number two, three steps. Number two, won't spend as much time on number two. Stop trying to prove you're right. Boy, this is a tough one. You want to stop bitterness from growing? Stop trying to prove you're right. Many of us carry a need to prove to those who've wounded us or lied to us or walked away from us that we've been right all along. And we have these imaginary conversations in our heads about what we would say if we only had a chance, right? Come on, don't you have those imaginary conversations? You know what? If she says this, I would say this. And then if she says that, I would say this. And then if he said that, I would say this. And I would just like put the whole thing to rest because I've got the truth and they don't. And if they would just let me talk, I would say this and this and this. On And you know what's interesting is we dominate every conversation in our head. We win every argument in our head. We put everybody in their place. If everybody would just listen to what what I have to say, they would finally agree that I was right the whole time. You need to know this about people. And this is a disappointing truth, but it's truth. As I said a couple weeks ago, truth will set you free, but first it makes you mad. Okay? Here's truth. Many people aren't interested in who is right. but rather defending their image, their honor, their opinion, whether they're right or wrong. Some people would rather lie, cover up, twist the truth, exaggerate, ignore attempts at honest conversation than to ever admit they were wrong. They will go to their grave holding on to their opinion than to confess that they were ever mistaken. 
So you're, you're thinking, if I could just sit down with this person and explain to them what I meant and my motive and why this happened and why that happened, and then they would understand what actually happened, and then they would be sorry that they were ever... Whoa, see-through people. You have an expectation you've just set up. And that expectation is if you could just reason with them, they would understand everything that you say, and now they know you're right, and they would ask you to forgive them. Not true. You have just made people into this humble, golden child who just wants the truth. There's lots of people who do not want the truth. They would rather live their lie than to ever hear the truth from you. They'd rather burn the ship than repair it. So this conversation that you wish you could have, this door that you wish you could close, this finality you wish you could get, you'll never get it. And you won't get it because they won't allow it. Let it go. Or you can sit on it and let it make you mad and eventually bitter. Your choice. Your choice. Let go of proving your point. A lot of people don't care if you're right. They'll never admit it. I want you to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians. The, the Christians of Corinth were fighting among themselves. If you ever think the early church didn't have problems, you're highly mistaken. The early church had problems just like we have today. They were arguing among themselves, telling their nasty stories to their family and friends, lambasting people, gossiping about people, taking each other to court, suing one another. Paul became upset because they were acting no different than the people who didn't follow Jesus. So he said to them, you should be living differently than those who are not following Jesus, and you should be interacting with one another differently. So listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8. The fact that you have lawsuits against each other means that you've already lost your case. Watch this. Why not be wronged instead? Why not be cheated? But instead, you are doing wrong and cheating, and you're doing it to your own brothers and sisters. Basically, what Paul is saying is it's better to be wronged than to fight with each other in court. It's better to be cheated than to drag your dirty laundry in front of everyone, especially those outside the church. This is what I mean. Lay down your desire to constantly prove that you're right. Most people don't care if you're right. Now, please hear what he is saying and what he's not saying. He's not saying that you can't go to court or defend yourself when someone's lying about you or trying to hurt your kids or something like that. He's, he's specifically talking about Christians being unwilling and unable to sort through their problems and reach a resolution. Instead, they sue one another and fight each other in court. These are issues that other Christian brothers and sisters could have helped solve for them, but instead, they wanted to be proven right, so they took each other to court. Hear the heart of what Paul is saying. It's better to be wronged than to lose relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Let go of your need to be right. Lots of people don't care who's right. They just want to win. The third step, last one I'm going to give you. Unhitch your self-worth from the opinions of others. You want to stop the root of bitterness? Disattach your self-worth from what people think. Who you are has absolutely nothing to do with who people think you are. Remember two weeks ago I told you people do not see you as you are, but as they are? When we interact with each other, we are looking in a mirror. 
And our image is often reflected back to us and we project that onto other people. It's why some of you sitting in this room are constantly offended when someone doesn't say something to you. Or they say something, but not the way you want them to say it. All that's coming from inside you. Not them. You. It's coming from your heart, your expectations for people. Well, she offended me. Well, stop being so offendable. Well, well, he hurt my feelings. Well, stop wearing your feelings on your sleeve. Stop letting other people change your day. Stop letting other people determine your life and the quality and the joy of your life. If you allow other people to provide your self-worth, if you are waiting for other people to assign value to you, you are in trouble. Think about this. Another person outside of you who doesn't actually know you Another person who is imperfect, who is selfish, who has their own agenda, who struggles with their own self-worth, has incorrect views, misunderstands scripture, struggles with their own relationships, another person who's imperfect, flawed person is the one who makes you feel worthy or not. You tell me who's crazy. Listen to me very carefully. People do not determine your self-worth. I am not beautiful because someone says I'm beautiful. My outside could completely change for the better or for worse in a matter of months or moments. Would that transformation make me less or more beautiful? No. There are mean, selfish, toxic, unintelligent people who lose 50 pounds. You know what they are then? Mean, toxic, selfish, unintelligent, skinny people. And there are kind, loving, generous, intelligent people who gain 50 pounds. You know what they are then? Kind, loving, generous, intelligent people with love handles. The size of your lips, hips, and other appendages does not change your character. Nor does your bank account, what you drive, where you live, your 401k, or your hairline. Nor whether you have a six-pack or a keg around your waist. Sure, you might live longer if you run around your block five times, but when you're a jerk, nobody really cares how long you live. (laughs) So detach, disengage, unhitch your self-worth from the opinions of other people. So where should you find your self-worth? Of course, ultimately, and you've here for a while, you're here to say it over and over again. You find it in the heart and the unmovable character of Jesus, the one who loves you and gave himself for you to present you blameless before the Father. But on this earth, in this world, we need to find our worth in the people we love and care for and who love and care for us in return. That's where you find your worth. Last scripture, some of the apostles were being put down They were being insulted, and word was getting around that they were not qualified to be representatives of God. And some people were saying that the apostles needed to have letters of recommendation from religious authorities. People with great names and important titles should vouch for them. If someone said that about you, can you imagine how that would sting? Well, I don't even think you're a good person. I need to see a letter of recommendation before I trust that you are who you say you are. Listen to how Paul addresses this. We can learn so much from this. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. 
He says, we don't need letters of introduction to you or from you like other people, do we? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us. You weren't written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. You weren't written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This principle can be applied in so many areas. You, you want to know my worth? Look at my kids. You, you, you want to know how valuable I am? Talk to my wife. Ask my dearest friends. I don't need an important man's stamp of approval. I don't require a letter from a special woman with degrees behind her name. The people who assign worth to me are the people who know me best my family, my best friends. Listen, a man like this, a woman like this, unstoppable. Because you can hold any opinion you want to, they're steady. They can curse you and you're steady. They can praise you and you're steady. They can disappoint you and you're steady. They can fail to meet your expectations, you're steady. You don't rise and fall on what people think. You don't rise and fall on what people do or don't do. You are a steady person. You're confident. You're healthy. So how do you stop bitterness from growing and spreading? You forgive and move on. You stop trying to prove you're right. And you unhitch your self-worth from the opinions of others. You know what you become if you do these three things? Free free. Free from the poison of unforgiveness. Free from the maze of justifying ourselves. Free from the trap of other people's opinions. If we are free, what could we do? My goodness. If we were free, where could we go? What could we accomplish? See, here's what I know. Some of you aren't free. You aren't free because you live in an endless loop of what she thinks, what he did, what they say about me, and you're constantly on this loop. But when you're free, you have the luxury of writing a new story, and your future is so much better than anything you've experienced in your past. The truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father, let the truth set us free. Lord, we walk around so many times worried about what other people think of us, what other people are saying about us. Oh, Father, if we could just walk away from that stuff and put our heart and our mind secure in who you say we are and look at our family, look at our closest friends and find the joy and the peace and the love that we have with them. A simple life, a life unburdened and unshackled to all the other things around us and what people say about us and what people won't do or will do and expectations. God, may we walk away from that stuff. Father, I pray that you would breathe into us a sense of purpose and meaning. Breathe into us the truth of who you are and let that truth get so deep within us it literally sets our hearts, our minds, our souls free that we might walk into the person you've called us to be. Thank you, thank you for loving us 
Thank you for forgiving and washing us and giving us an incredible example of what it means to forgive. Speak to us and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just a good reminder of what it means to really batter, battle bitterness in our heart, and I hope that you were able to get something and write it down and, and be able to put it into practice in your life uh, as we leave here today. I want to give you three quick announcements really quick before we let you go. Number one is next Sunday we're starting our December uh, series called You Belong, and we're going to look at the Christmas story and going to kind of dissect it and kind of see how the Christmas story applies to us today as Christians. It's not just a story we kind of, oh, it's so nice, but it has practical implications on how we live our life, and we're going to look at that in the month of December, so I hope you'll join us next Sunday as we kick that off. Number two is uh, we, if you're new here or you've been coming for a while and you've yet to connect, encourage you to fill out a new here card. It's in the seat back in front of you or to fill it out at that website and you can take it either virtually or in person to the new here area in our main lobby on your way out. That is a place not only to get your free gift, but it's a place to get your questions answered. So if you have questions about who Forest Park is, what we do, why we do the things we do, that is the place to go to get any answers to the questions you may have. And then Uh, Last but not least, we have our angel project that's going on here at Forest Park. We do this every holiday season to bless the children in our community with the Christmas. Just like I mentioned in hosting, you know, I said not everyone's guaranteed a good Thanksgiving meal, and not everyone is guaranteed a Christmas with presents under the tree. And um, one of the things that I love about Angel Project is it's an opportunity for us to step up, to step up and provide something for children who aren't as blessed, who need some extra help, families that need that extra assistance. Uh, One of the cards I got off the wall, just to show you how simple it is, is a five-year-old at Sheep Harney, and all they're asking for for Christmas is Paw Patrol Patrol toys, pajamas, and a bike. Something you can get for $50 or less to make a difference in a child's life this Christmas season. So before I let you go, I want to remind you we have 147 cards still left on the window. And gifts are due back December 10th, which is two weeks away from today. So we need all 147 cards off the window by the end of next Sunday service. Let me encourage and be also blunt with everyone in the room that 99.9% of us in the room watching online will not have to worry about what Christmas will look like for us. There is almost zero excuse for why 100% of us can't take one card and bless a child for Christmas. It is our call as Christians to love, to serve, to give to those who are in need. This is a practical way that 99% of us can make a difference by taking one card and blessing a child. Should be no real excuse why we can't other than we don't want to. So I want to challenge you to step up, go by the lobby, take a card, sign up. And not only take it, but take a picture of it on your phone because most people lose these cards when they get home and then they don't know what to buy. So if you take a picture, put it on your phone, you'll be able to remember all gifts are due back in two weeks. We'd love to see everyone step up, get a card, clear the windows, and we bless children this holiday season. So thank you guys so much for being here. Hope you have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.